0: me a go no go for launch just when you think you're out they pull you back in i was gonna say something that was not true i i don't know why we do these let's make film history we are go for launch welcome back everybody
1: almost sideways podcast thank you so much for joining us for some great movie talk uh, I am your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me, as always, are Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. We're going to get a little bit of uh, what uh, we've been watching recently before we get into the movie we're all going to review together. So I'm going to go to Todd first. Todd, give me your 30-second movie review.
0: All right, so just earlier today I watched uh, the new Gaspar No movie called Climax, uh, which was really strange. It was about this... Uh, like group of boarding school dancers who have this like really energetic party but someone spikes the punch with uh, with LSD and then it all sort of unravels in like classic Gaspar Noe fashion. It's not great, but it's it's definitely ambitious and I appreciate it, it but
2: it's like a 2-star movie
0: overall.
1: All right. Yeah, I Zach. saw the trailer
2: for it. It looked Give me it, a 30 it looked second a lot movie like the remake It looked a lot like the remake of uh, Suspiria. That's why I avoided it.
0: Yeah, that's, that's good comparison.
2: Um, the movie I watched was uh, a documentary on Netflix that was made two years ago called Perfect Bid: The Contestant Who Knew Too Much, and it's a story about this guy named Ted Slauson who uh, tried to. He was obsessed with The Price Is Right, and he would always be um, in the audience on The Price Is Right, and he went to like forty different tapings, and he tried to like memorize like all the prices of the uh, of the items that are that were prizes, and he made like a database of them so he would know the exact number, and he'd help people out who got called to contest. Row, And basically he kind of got screwed over because he only got called up once and he got a bad uh, kind of game and he didn't win the big wheel. And so he just ended up his life helping other people get rich because he did all the work and they benefited from it. So it was kind of depressing, actually. But if you're a fan of The Price is Right, it was pretty cool.
1: Nice. Nice. Hmm. All right. So my 30-second my review. Yesterday I watched a new Netflix film, I Am Mother uh this is starring uh hillary swank and claire Ruggerd and rose byrne uh it's a post-apocalyptic uh film where uh, a robot is basically resurrecting the human race and raising babies uh it it's a uh, it's kind of a neat sci-fi premise the ending kind of gets out of whack in a hurry um and kind of goes in some weird places uh the story ends up getting fairly derivative of some other things uh, as it moves along but it was fun it was a uh, it was suspenseful for a while there uh, solid movie worth worth checking out especially since it's a Netflix film
2: so how many stars would you give it
1: uh it's probably around like two and a half stars for me I mean it was entertaining even though the ending kind of was yeah the ending had some issues but uh and the, there were some twists that that everyone saw coming but it was still fun it, it was it was original and it even though it was it kind of borrowed from other things it still was an original take on a, on a sci-fi premise all right i what well, i'm realizing now i skipped the most important question of them all zach what are you drinking
2: I am drinking some amazing uh, Cherry Blossom Pinot Noir from California. There you go, and, Pinot uh, Noir. Well, Pinot takes a lot of um, work, and it's not like Cabernet, which can just grow and flourish anywhere. Um, this particular brand of Pinot cost a grand total of three dollars and 99 cents when i found it at uh, trader joe's in missouri because they don't sell alcohol in kansas so um it is a solid uh quaffable but not transcendent uh type pinot well done. i like that price
0: well yeah i can't go wrong with the price all right todd what do you got uh, I am drinking some bargain stuff too, actually. It's the Rich and Rare Reserve. Not the normal Rich and Rare. This one's like $3 more and it's in a nicer bottle, so I kind of don't feel as bad drinking it. But it's, <laughs> it's fine.
1: Oh, very nice. I have, uh... I have, let's see here, this is out of Oh, what's the brewery? Iron Horse Brewery in Ellensburg, Washington. It is their Quilter's Irish Death Dark Smooth Ale. Um, Yeah, it's got a skull and crossbones on it. It's got a quote here from a fan that says Irish death is like Barry White's voice traveling down a well oiled bowling lane into a pile of teddy bears. So uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm not gonna lie. It's pretty smooth. It's pretty awesome. I- I'm liking it. Sell that time. at
0: the at the Grand Cinema in Tacoma. Oh, do they really? <laughs> yeah, I've I've drank that a couple times. Out
1: there. I found it at a- at grocery outlet yesterday, and uh, I'm liking it. I'm liking it.
2: So the the can is awesome. I mean, it looked like I thought you were drinking like Monster or something. Mm-hmm. I-, I didn't think it was alcoholic, but it it looks pretty amazing. Yeah, it's
1: pretty good. It's pretty good. Really smooth. It it says on the can that it it's uh it's almost black, but it tastes like ca- beer candy. And it's true. It's, it's got, it's, it's really good. All right. So we've got what we've been watching recently out of the way. Now it's time to review uh, a movie that just came out with our featured movie review.
2: I love this movie so much.
1: I did not really like this film at all.
2: This is the most Zach movie ever made. You got to see it.
1: Movie Reviews. And what we're looking at today is X-Men Dark Phoenix.
2: Something's happening to me. When I lose control, bad things happen. But it feels good. That power
1: destroyed everything it ever came into contact with. Until you, the X-Men, fear you and what they fear. We seek to destroy. No! She'll kill us all. And as always, since uh, we're talking comic book movies, we're going to go to the person who knows the least about them first, and that is Zach. Zach, explain to everyone what Dark Phoenix is about and what you thought of it.
2: So, Dark Phoenix is the kind of penultimate film in the X-Men installment. Now, I didn't realize that it was the last X-Men film until after the credits rolled, and my wife had to tell me that, so uh, that was kind of cool. I also didn't realize that it was a part of the X-Men film uh, installment, um, until maybe a few days before seeing it. Um, when I saw the trailer, I was like, whoa, what's Dark Phoenix? It sounds like Dark Angel meets, um, I don't know, something. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm not really an expert at anything. But, uh, so I'm reviewing this. Okay, well, here's the thing that sticks out about Dark Phoenix, okay? This movie is getting totally shit on by the critics, all right? It has a total of, like, 22% on Rotten Tomatoes at, at, as of today. So, this makes me think one of two things, like, either this movie really is trashy and I'm just gonna, you know, continue to steamroll on it, he- continue to heap and throw shit on it and throw tomatoes at it, or like, you know, I also don't really like when critics, like, get together and band together and fraternize and then just shit upon a movie unfairly because a lot of, some of the other X-Men movies got decent reviews from film critics, and it's not like this one is that dramatically different from some of the other X-Men movies. So, anyway, this is just a long-winded introduction of saying that I really don't know what I'm talking about but I did see it so that's that's a good thing that's a good place to start Um, anyway Dark Phoenix is the story of Jean Grey who is one of the X-Men and um, I really liked uh, when she was played by Famke Jansen in the earlier X-Men movies in this move in this iteration she's played by uh, Sophie Turner who is Sansa on Game of Thrones and uh, this is sort of a, a little bit of a mixture of like a origin story about where Jean Grey derives her powers from, and it's also sort of the culmination of uh, an Avengers Endgame type. Oh, let's get the ba- let's get everyone back together for one more movie and kick some butt. And that is a strange so- sort of sort of synthesis. Um, and. So, uh, basically, this movie starts out with, and this is not too much of a spoiler because it's in the preview, but uh, Jean Grey in the car with her parents as a little girl. Now, if you've seen the movie Shazam, this is the exact same first five minutes of Shazam. And uh, so, you know, if you're a little kid out there listening to our podcast and you have parents who are driving the car, don't sit in the middle seat and distract your parents or else something terrible is going to happen to them like they get in a car crash and die. And then you become a superhero later. Oh, and then you become a superhero later. Exactly, exactly. Well, anyway, Jean Grey is uh, apparently, um, from that experience, uh, gets these powers to uh, read minds or something like that. And later, she's taken in by uh, Professor Xavier and goes into the X-Men Academy. And then they go up and, you know, flash forward 17 years, and for some reason, all the X-Men are aboard this space mission into outer space. Um to save uh, something from some sort of vortex. Now I don't really know why Storm and Mystique are on the spaceship, seeing as Storm is in charge of the weather and Mystique has the power to shapeshift, um, but still, they're still part of a mission, okay, whatever. So when they go on this mission, um, Jean Grey uh, it suffers some major sort of injury or something and she gets possessed with these incredible powers, uh, even greater than the powers she already has. Um, anyway the rest of the movie is just this kind of pointless trivial exercise into showing her with these powers that uh, she cannot control and uh, boy if that's not a trope you've heard in like you know the last 30 uh, superhero movies I don't know what planet you're living on this is a movie that um, it probably could have worked in like 2003 2004 comic book movies but I feel like the genre has evolved to a place where you cannot have this basic of a storyline anymore it's just not acceptable. Really, you have to go down one of two routes. If you, if you're outside the MCU, you either have to go down the route of kind of PG-13, um, sort of uh, funny, smart aleck, Shazam, Spider-Man: Homecoming type movie, or even Deadpool to a certain extent, or you have to go full-on R-rated, uh, uh, dark and twisty, but very serious, like Logan. And this movie doesn't really know where where to meet. It's really neither of those. It's just sort of this haphazard attempt to tell a really lame story with no plot no imagination the antagonist in the movie is played by jessica chastain um she's one of i guess one of the aliens has overtaken her body what's curious about her character is that her character name is vuck which reminds me of the vietnamese man lady from super bad named oh. F- um and uh but they don't really say her name a whole lot uh the two things that disturb me most in comic book movies are shape-shifting and time travel. I'm really kind of tired of seeing both those things, and this movie has both of them, believe it or not. Uh, Magneto is living on some sort of hippie commune now, and uh, he somehow magically ages 20 years to um, become Ian McKellen from Ma- Michael Fassburn, or I'm not really sure how. The performances <laughs> in this movie are totally lame. Um, it is boring, repetitive, dull, lifeless, there's no comedy in it. In it there's no drama in it it is a painful waste of time and like i said i i don't like when critics band together and shit on things but this movie was absolutely horrific and and offensive to my senses one and a half stars total waste of time
1: all right that that might have been your best review ever zach uh ju- just you meandering your way through the plot line and trying to tell what's going on without really knowing anything you're talking about was just amazing that was amazing well i
2: think it says something that you can be both a total fanboy of x-men and someone who doesn't know anything like me and both mutually agree to hate this movie
1: <laughs> todd what about you
0: uh i'm pretty much in agreement with zach like this is uh, simon kinberg's first movie he directed and you could really tell like the visuals are off and the pacing's atrocious, and every single actor seems completely disinterested. When you got Michael Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence, Jessica Chastain, the acting should be somewhat elevated, but you could just tell that they don't believe in the script, and they don't really care what's going on. The only impressive thing Kinberg did was somehow make Jessica Chastain look ugly. I'm not, I am not—I didn't really know it was possible. But the movie has all kinds of problems. Like, they reduce one of the mutants to being like an ice dispenser at a party. I'm like, Aren't we done with, like, kids playing around with their new superpowers? Isn't that what we did with Chronicle and First Class and Power Rangers? And that's what New Mutants is going to be? Like, I'm kind of just done, like, seeing them just, like, finding out their new powers and, like, messing around with them. And there was only one F-bomb in the movie, and it was a really dumb, random spot. It wasn't used as cool as, like, Logan would have used it. And the big emotional scenes were anything but that, and... I don't know, Grey is basically just, like, Captain Marvel with a mean streak, and no other mutant should be able to control her, and, like, Xavier's kind of naive to think that he could, even though he's afraid of her. I honestly was more interested in the trailers before the movie than I was in the actual movie. This is a terrible movie, and I give it a half of a star. Wow. I'm not even sure what the half star is for.
2: (laughs) So before we go go to you, Terry, I have to intervene for a second. So Todd and I were wondering before this movie what you would give it, and we actually have Vegas odds for what we think you're going to give it. So we said um, the chances of you giving it 4 stars are 13 to 2 odds, 3.5 stars are 5 to 1 odds, 3 stars is minus 240, but that line has been adjusted since then to minus 200. Um, <laughs> 2.5 stars is 3 to 1, 2 stars is 7 to 2, 1.5 stars is 10 to 1 odds, and 1 or lower is 50 to 1, but Todd thinks those are too, too high odds.
0: I think it be more like 30, 35 to 1. But
2: you but- don't get, Terry doesn't get Give anything one star or lower
0: <laughs> except for my number one of 2011 and
1: 2012 <laughs> both years uh, I, okay i couldn't remember that um I, i'm giving it two stars um i i think <sighs> i knew it i yeah you I said seven to
2: two was a good buy yeah,
0: yeah it's a good value on that it's
1: so i uh, and i'm i'm a huge x-men fan i i've been a fan of this series ever since uh ever since 2000 when you had you know Hugh Jackman first on the claws, um, but and as I'm watching this movie, I'm I'm thinking, it, it's it's fine, but it's not it's nothing special. Nothing is standing out. Kind of like what you guys said, it's just kind of mediocre in every single sense. Um, the 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 performances are okay, but nothing. No one stands out. Um, it, it they kind of seem disinterested. I thought Sophie Turner kind of was was pretty boring as the one that you're gonna have leading the whole thing um and uh the the story was not told well i mean you're you even got it it was taking itself too seriously there were no real laughs in it and the times that they were trying to get a laugh it was like okay we're trying to get a laugh from this line now everyone everyone hear our laugh okay okay now let's move on um, the best character in the movie, in, the best character in this new iteration of X Men, is Quicksilver, and they—he was in like the first half hour, and then he gets hurt, and you don't see him again. Um, It—it's—I—I it, was—I was disappointed by by it, and uh, yeah, they're saying this is the last in the last X Men movie, especially since this is the last like 20th Century Fox movie in a lot of ways. Um, and, uh, cause it's going to get wrapped up into what Disney's doing now. And it's probably a good thing because they're just kind of meandering and not really doing much of anything now. I, I thought it was interesting that you had, I, I mean, you, like Todd said, you had these amazing actors in it and they, they couldn't really even bring about anything and where you have all these young up and coming actors in it. Like you've got Ty Sheridan in there, Cody Smith McPhee, you've got these guys these young actors that are working their way up and they can't even resurrect this. And it's kind of sad because X-Men really uh, resurrected comic book movies after Joel Schumacher and Batman and Robin completely destroyed them. And uh, in 2000, they they brought it back, which allowed for stuff like Spider-Man and the MCU to happen. And ever since the MCU started, X-Men has kind of fallen by the wayside as the the ugly stepchild of the of the comic book movies that comes out with these movies that are okay but like Zach said they don't really measure up it would have worked if it was like you said it would have worked if it was back then but the game's been stepped up and they aren't playing the same game anymore so so yeah i'm going i'm going 2 stars and i will say it also was very very much missing Wolverine. It was the first X-Men movie without Hugh Jackman, without Wolverine, and it was a noticeable miss. Because you didn't have anything that you could count on. Of Well, at least we have this that we know is going to be good. Um, there was nothing like that in here. You're counting his cameo in first class as being in it? Yes, I am. <laughs> it was the best okay. scene in the movie. So I, so Todd, I have a question for you. Because Zach, I'm, I'm assuming you haven't seen all the X-Men movies. This is the 10th X-Men movie is this the worst one yeah well
0: yeah i give it a half a star yeah <laughs> i look back at your ratings you had given three stars to every one of them except logan you gave four stars to uh and the wolverine you gave one and a half and you gave the first x-men two and a half everything else is three stars down the down the line really that that's interesting i i mean well what,
1: what would you say are the best x-men movies since since we're kind of wrapping up x-men here at least the current iteration of X-Men. What what would you say?
0: Well, uh, I think... X2 and Days of Future Past are my votes.
2: I actually think I've seen almost all of them. Um, but not that I really care to pay attention to them. But... I liked. Uh, I actually w- was a really big fan of X Men: First Class and Logan. And like, if you do want to take this movie seriously, it is really kind of sad to see. Like, I-, I thought First Class and Logan were two of the best superhero movies of of the decade. I mean, you could at least make the argument. I think Logan. I sort of agree with you, Terry. I think Logan is sort of a neglected masterpiece. I know Todd, mm-hmm. you weren't such a big fan of it, but like, um, you know, it's fun to shit on this movie and talk about how terrible it is. But in, in another sense, it is. You're right, Terry. It's kind of sad to see the the end of what was a fairly historic and kind of of, you know uh, game changing uh franchise
1: yeah i i put this i put this near the bottom probably the wolverine is my worst one um that I, I just thought that movie was terrible um and yeah if you're gonna go to the top i, I think logan is is in a class all in itself um but i'd agree with todd uh, x2 and days of future past are probably a top but first class was very good also the original x-men was very good um yeah, they did some great things, and I think, I, I it, it was a movie that we didn't really need the, this one. I mean, you have we you have three trilogies that they that they built. You've got the original trilogy, you've got the Wolverine trilogy, and then you've got this new group of trilogies with First Class, Days of Future Past, and Apocalypse and apocalypse was starting to show that it wasn't quite working anymore and then this was just like the unnecessary well let's see if we could just throw one more out there and it's the second time they tried to do the gene gray phoenix saga and ruined it
2: yeah i was going to say that exactly i mean it's like the, the x-men the last stand it's sort of like a remake of that movie in a sense except instead of you know killing mystique she kills cyclops oh spoiler alert sorry but like It just didn't, it it never felt uh, original. I I think you're absolutely right, Terry, that like the, the absence of Wolverine really took out any sort of charisma that any of the characters had. I just came from watching Glass with James McAvoy, and obviously this guy is a hugely charismatic actor who is, he can play virtually any role, and in this movie he's just so bland and dead, as, as are a lot of the actors in this movie, but like, with McAvoy, that is a role that he could have elevated it and maybe made it more, I don't know, charismatic and interesting.
1: And in his first three runs as, um, as Professor Xavier, he's awesome. He's great in First Class. He's great in Days of Future Past. He's even pretty good in Apocalypse. And yeah, you're right. In this one, he just it just falls flat. And, and I think another thing that that uh, hurts the X Men movies is when you take away the main conflict from being Xavier versus Magneto, the story suffers. Like if you think of like the best the best moments in X Men movies, it's when it's it's when it's Xavier versus Magneto and their followers versus each other. the only time it really worked where they team up is in X2, but they're opponents for the first half of the movie and decide they need to team up for a little bit. Um, yeah, so when you take away that main opposition there and that main conflict and try to make them somewhat partners for an entire movie, and it's what they've done the last two, and it doesn't
2: work. Another thing that was missing about this movie that I really liked about Days of Future Past and First Class in particular is that this movie didn't really have any kind of like social metaphor. I mean, a lot of people were kind of reading First Class as a sort of uh, symbolic of, of uh, racial tensions in the 1950s and 60s in the United States and Days of Future Past about the paranoia of the Ra- Watergate era. This movie had nothing at all to say about society. I mean, that's, that's I think one of the ways that you could maybe make the case that X-Men was sort of an elevated comic uh, franchise because it actually had, I thought, some interesting statements to say about uh, people who are, like, marginalized on the basis of race or ethnicity. And this movie has absolutely nothing. It is so vapid, and it doesn't have anything interesting to say about the the, the times we're living in, which, which it could have, we could have said something about it since it's the last film. And uh, it's just it's so skin-deep and vapid.
0: Well, it was sort of like a really half-assed attempt at feminism to, like, they, they try to make her out to be like this feminist hero they even say I like might true. as well call it ex women you know, Yeah, like all that really that was very awesome obligatory
2: <laughs> very obligatory
1: and and uh, and uh, since zach already spoiled it i mean you could just tell watching this movie that jennifer lawrence was just waiting until the moment where she didn't have to be in it anymore yeah and and what the hell is jessica chastain doing i mean why does she <laughs> sign up for this it's like i'm gonna make my comic book debut in this what uh yeah but I, I went along with what you were saying zach i think x-men of all the marvel franchises x-men kind of has the richest and deepest mythology and um and just story with it and which is what made some of the better movies so great but I mean this just shows how how badly it can go if you've got the wrong person running it so i'm actually kind of excited for it to be pulled into the mcu because then we're going to start to see quality x-men work again
2: yeah i i agree and it's just it's it's a shame to see because this was a movie that cost like 200 million dollars to make as todd said it had this unbelievable wealth of talent and uh, allegedly, there were a lot of reshoots in this movie. Apparently, the director felt like, uh, or if the studio felt like the ending, the climax, was a little too similar to Captain Marvel, so they, reshoot, they reshot a lot of it. And it just feels sort of half-baked and undeveloped and um, pointless. You have to have some investment in the characters for the action sequences to have any kind of meaning.
1: Well, and wasn't it supposed to be released, like, this time last year? And then it was delayed till November, and then it was delayed till
0: February and then it was delayed till june i mean it, that's never a good Once sign the new, new mutants now like they were shot at the same time and new mutants is now not even coming out supposedly until like next year or sometime and it might not even come out then yeah but
1: yeah it's a shame that uh yeah that the last x-men universe film we are uh, we are thrice uh, thrice disgraced is that what we're saying i forget what we decided we didn't decide on anything but- I it was thrice, thrice declined. De- that was it. Declined. Thrice
2: declined. Yeah, like a bank loan.
1: Yep, exactly. So we are for the second time in a row. We've never been it before, but now second time in a row we are thrice declined on uh, on Dark Phoenix. Uh, unless you're a really big superhero fan and X Men fan and have to see it, see them all. Go see it. If not, you can avoid it. Don't worry about it. Which is sad. Uh, But it's not going to stop us from continuing to talk about it, because we're moving on to our spotlight segment now. Spotlight. And like I said, one of the biggest uh, problems with Dark Phoenix is the fact that it was missing the best character in X-Men, and that is Wolverine. Hugh Jackman uh, took his last turn as Logan in Logan, and... We haven't gotten anybody to take over for him yet, and you know as this gets wrapped into the MCU and whatever Disney's going to do with it and Kevin Feige that Wolverine is going to come back. He's going to be an Avenger, but it's not going to be Hugh Jackman. So, we decided to spend some time thinking about who is going to be the new Wolverine. Uh, And... And really, if we wanted to, we could talk about all of the characters because I don't see any of these guys after this effort, any of them coming back in any sense of, of an X-Men film. However, we're just going to focus on Wolverine. Who's going to be the new Wolverine? Todd, I'm going to you first. What do you
0: think? Give, give me give me a, an idea here. All right, so I was thinking about this for a while, and the one I came up with, even though there would be a slight problem because he was in one of the X-Men movies, like or he was in a Wolverine movie as a smaller part, but I, I picked uh, Taylor Kitsch. Now, I think wow. he has the like the physique and the gruff exterior to pull off the Wolverine scenes, but he, he's really good at playing asshole characters, so he could really be a really good Logan. And, I, I mean, he was given a monster budget uh, franchise, potentially, at one point, with John Carter, and that didn't fail because of him, it was just because it was an overblown action movie that the director thought he was sort of untouchable, and he really kind of bombed it. But he is a tremendous actor. He's a—I mean—he's really good in True Detectives, Savages, Friday Night Lights, and I honestly think he's the only real believable part in uh, Lone Survivor. So when he has the right kind of material, he he can really pull off a a good performance. And I don't know, Jackman was 32 when he first became Wolverine, but Kitch looks like a very young 38, and I think that I think uh I could really see him uh being a true staple in the next uh, era of X Men. All right that's a that's a good one that's one I didn't think about
1: um as I was thinking about this the first name that popped into my head um plays uh it's it's kind of similar to what you said Todd it it would be somewhat problematic but even more problematic considering we're going into the MCU my guy actually has been in the MCU before uh which which means he probably couldn't do it and that's Aaron Taylor-Johnson I think he would make a really fascinating Wolverine and he could pull it off because he could pull off the gruff exterior and he could really pull off anything. But he they already wasted him in half a movie as Quicksilver in Age of Ultron, which I still think is one of the worst things that the MCU has ever done is how they treated him and that character. So I was trying to find some other guys <clears throat> and I've got a few names here of some guys that I, um, I thought could be all right. One of them is uh, Stephen Amell. Who's just wrapping up his uh, his run as the Green Arrow on uh, in the DC television universe? Um, he he's shown through that that he could pull off the superhero. He could pull off being this this gruff exterior, this big guy uh, with kind of this dark side to him. So I thought that would be interesting. If you want to go a little younger, someone like Alex Pettifer uh, could be a really interesting uh, uh, Wolverine. And of, number four, yeah. And of course, Michael Angarano. Now you can. Uh, now I'm saying it because it's it's young <laughs> William Miller. But actually, I could see it. I could see it. He could actually pull it off. They would never do it. However, uh, I could see it actually potentially working. Aaron Taylor Johnson would be the top choice, but like I said, he can't do it. So, yeah, Amel or Pettifer or even Angarano um someone like that but it's gonna be hard to it's hard shoes to fill what do you got zach
2: wow uh, you had me until michael <laughs> that was 11 I, I don't know if i can see him saying that as wolverine uh okay well um Yeah, I mean, if you're going to recast Wolverine, it has to be from a completely different era. I mean, at first I thought, like, maybe Alexander Sarsgaard, but, you know, that guy's in his 40s now. we we got to get a new generation. we got to go younger, hipper, YouTube generation. Give me the Instagram Wolverine who's taking selfies, you know, and I'm thinking social media generation. I'm thinking one actor who I've only ever seen in one thing, but he was amazing in it, and Todd's seen him too, and I think Todd's a fan, and that actor is none other than Jimmy Tatro. And, you know, <laughs> yes. he's got the look for it, he could beef up, go to the gym, but more importantly, he's got the right attitude for uh, you know Wolverine. He can smoke a cigar, he can look like a badass while taking selfies, and again, I've never, I haven't really watched him on YouTube, but I loved him in American Vandal, he is an amazing actor, incredible talent, can play comedy, can play drama, um, he needs to be in more stuff, and I'm ready to give him the front seat to the new Wolverine franchise.
0: That is a beautiful choice just, I don't know what it, If his voice actually sounds like it does in American Vandal If it does that would be a little bit of an issue But I'm, I'm sure he could rough himself up Says he was also in 22 Jump Street
2: Yeah and he was in Grown Ups okay. 2 as Frat Boy
1: mm-hmm. I, I have no idea who you're Talking about so I'm just going to say yes Looking at pictures of him that yes I could see I could see how he could how he could work. If you want I was thinking if you want to go like full movie star someone like Zac Efron maybe
2: no no, off, no, 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 but... no. We're we, we're going new generation, man. We got to get a fresh talent in there. And Jimmy <laughs> Tatro has the following. Like, do you know how much money that movie would make? Like, people would flock to that movie. Okay, if you're if you're listening to this podcast and you're under the age of twenty, you know who Jimmy Tatro is. Um, not that that you know listener <laughs> hypothetically exists, but like, he's hilarious, and he would totally drive young people to go see a new generation of Wolverine. He'd be awesome. All right. All right. Get a YouTube star. Why are we Why are we limiting this to, to movies? Get go go on YouTube. You know, that's where to find the fresh young talent. Well, and then you don't have to pay him that much either. Well, and Hugh Jackman came out of nowhere too
1: when he was first cast as as Wolverine. Nobody knew who he was. And I I remember hearing the original casting was uh was Doug Ray Scott coming off of uh, Mission Impossible Two as the villain. He was gonna be Wolverine and had to drop out for something, and uh, that's when they went with Hugh Jackman, the unknown Australian. Uh, yeah, that'd be in- that would be interesting. Go completely. So this off the is kind of related.
0: Oh, this kind of related. But I was having a conversation with my a friend at work, and we were, uh, we were talking about the X Men movies, and we were I, I and we, I, we started thinking, you know, if there was a podcast like 50 years from now, or whatever, however they're getting their information at, at the time, but something like ours, and we're doing our trivia section, and be like, what role was shared by these two actors? And you said Sir Ian McKellen and Let's say, eight-time Academy Award nominee, Michael Fassbender. Would the role that comes to your mind be the bad guy in freaking X-Men? Wouldn't it be, like, King Lear or, like, Jean Valjean or something, like an actor's role? Like, why is it Eric that it gets these, like, really distinguished actors? Like, because that is... You got to cast that one, too, in the, in the following franchise. And it's, it's probably going to be someone really famous and really distinguished. I, I mean, know. that's...
2: That's like the worst thing about the about Avengers, though, too. I mean, where, where you know, if you're playing the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, where can you cross? You know, Anthony Hopkins with Kenneth Branagh and uh, Natalie Portman. You know, <laughs> freaking Thor. I mean, it's, it's terrible. It's a travesty.
1: <laughs> I think the best part of that sure. is Kenneth Branagh is the one that
0: actually directed Thor. Uh. Yep. so maybe Aaron Taylor Johnson's the new Eric then. I don't know. <laughs> that that wouldn't be bad, but again,
1: he's already been in MCU. Now, this is going to be interesting to see if once we get into this a little further, and you need some of these characters, are they just going to keep going into other, other uh, getting other actors, or are they going to recycle some from that have had
0: minor roles in in previous iterations? Well, you're running out of big stars that haven't been in superhero movies. I mean, it doesn't even matter if it's owned by the same ones, but like you know like michael b jordan's had two two shots at superhero movies and uh, ben affleck has had two shots now i mean yeah because they're running out of guys even uh uh chris evans
1: yeah i i uh I, I heard someone say at one point if you want a successful superhero movie get cast as johnny storm and then uh, the next one you make will be good because that was that was chris <laughs> evans and michael b jordan
2: by the way, Terry, have you ever watched Arrow or The Flash? Yeah,
1: I've, wa- uh, yeah, I've watched the first, like, three seasons of Arrow. It's really good.
2: Um, <laughs> oh, my God. I hate The Arrow. Oh. Man, my, my, my wife watches it all the time. I think that actor is terrible.
1: Oh I, no! I, I, I like he, him. He's
2: terrible at emoting. He has no emotion whatsoever. Like he would be the actor they would pick as Wolverine. I mean, he probably would like market the best to like you know fifty-five-year-old white dudes, and they would think, oh, you know, he's he goes to the gym and he's been on this CW show. He's terrible, man. I can't watch that show for three seconds. I get so bored of him. He would he would destroy the franchise. I think.
1: I, I really liked the first couple seasons. I think I stopped watching somewhere in the third season. It was getting a little uh, getting a little weird. But, uh, but no, I thought he was fine. I thought he was good. no, he's terrible he's oh, wow wow and and, I've watched a couple episodes of the flash, and I think the flash that they have on t v is much better than the flash they have in the movies.
2: all those shows are terrible but because they're so they're so inbred and like incestuous um kind of like you know Jack's career in Hollywood like it you couldn't you can't really distinguish them so they're all like the same show so I don't know what the Flash is and what Arrow is it's all just the same oh yeah because there's so many crossovers right it's so terrible it's just like the same kind of matrix of bullshit (laughs) so
1: I think you just coined a new term there yeah (laughs) <laughs> uh okay. Well, uh, uh I'm sure in the next uh, couple years we'll be hearing more about uh about X-Men getting wrapped into MCU and who actually is going to be the the new Logan, the new Wolverine, but until then we'll have to keep uh keep speculating. I did
0: read that Charlie Hunnam was like the leading candidate. Ooh, that's not a bad one either. I wouldn't mind that. I wouldn't mind that.
1: All right, moving on from Spotlight, it is time for power rankings
2: you can't top that
0: yeah that's the movie about the horse
2: I'm gonna pull an audible at the last minute here
1: that's cause I haven't seen it power rankings
0: not including Fargo
1: can't choose Fargo ever again and because of the uh, results of the last time around which was the, uh, the crazy uh, five-way power rankings when we had Adam and Ben on. I got to be the one that chose our power rankings topic. So, Todd, why don't you give us our completely messed up uh, standings now
0: for uh, power rankings. So, uh, in first place, we have me with 13. And then we have Zach with 7.7. <laughs> 7. <laughs> and Terry has just 7. <laughs> and, and don't forget, Ben has point two. Yeah, Ben can distribute his point two uh, at his discretion. Yes, yes.
1: And again, these points are, are how well we are able to predict Adam's list, Adam of the uh, of the Adam Daily Live uh, YouTube channel on the Red and Brown podcast. Uh, last time we also predicted Ben's list, but we're not doing that this time. It's just Adam's list and i got to pick our topic and looking at uh what's kind of going on in the world around us we just celebrated memorial day a couple weeks ago uh this last week we celebrated the 75th anniversary of d-day uh so i decided that what we would be looking at is the top five movie and tv soldiers Top five soldiers, war heroes, however you want to look at it. Uh, the one stipulation is they have to be seen on screen, like on the job, at least once during what whatever we're talking about. So, that's what so, we're so doing Travis
2: Bickle, Travis Bickle doesn't count, neither does Colonel Fitz from American Beauty. Right.
1: Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver, that was Todd's first ask, ask was does he count in... Zach asked about Colonel Fitz from American Beauty. They they don't count because Travis Bickle is... Even though his name is Colonel Fitz. Like,
0: nobody calls him by his person. He is Colonel Fitz. Colonel,
2: yeah. Can we also just talk about how stupid those characters would be for this list? I mean... (laughs) Travis Bickles, like, he only mentions in one scene that he's a veteran, and, you know, for Colonel Fitz, is a terrible person. Like, those would supposed to be terrible people for this list, but, okay, and wh- that's where our minds and, go. And exactly. So-
1: why, was, why were those the first names out of your guys' mouth? Like, I tell Todd, we're doing top TV and movie soldiers, and Todd goes, does Travis Bickle count? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and Zach, same thing. I and
2: mean, he does wear camo.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no. okay. Gosh. All right. So I am, I'm going to go first on this. So, uh, number five on my list, as I was going through my list, this actually turned out to be a really tough list to make because I wanted to have so many different people on this list and represent so many different things. And I tried to, uh, to split it up and try to get representation from like as many wars as possible. Um, and there's only one word that I repeat and I repeat it in Kind of two separate eras. So number five on my list is Colonel Nicholson from the 1957 film *The Bridge on the River Kwai*. Uh, this Colonel Nicholson was portrayed by Alec Guinness. Uh, this is an absolutely incredible film of a of a troop of World War II Amer- uh, World War Two soldiers, British soldiers, that are um, captured by the Japanese and are kept in a POW camp and are asked to build a bridge over the River Kwai. And, uh, and Colonel Nicholson takes on this task and uses it as his way to, uh, to kind of get his troops out of this mindset of being imprisoned and give them some direction and give them some life. And then, um, he, he really is, uh, it becomes a hero in the end, even though he's helping out the enemy. Um, uh, but it, it's a, it's an amazing character, uh, an amazing, uh, leader as, uh, he is looking out for the best interest of his troops really at all times and uh, and and is able to fight the enemy in the at the same time even though he's in prison so uh, i had to go with something a little older i'm i'm not very uh very good at some of the the more classic war films and this was the one of the best ones i could find uh, that i've seen so number five colonel nicholson the bridge on the river kwai zach let's go to you next number five
2: all right. Well, my top war performance is Philip Seymour Hoffman in *Boogie Nights*. I mean, he's amazing in that movie, and no one else could have played that role. Oh, wait, we're talking about war movies. Oh, okay. Sorry, I was confused for a second. War really... movies,
1: not not war.
2: Oh, yeah. okay. I'm sorry. All right, I was confused there. I got I got to reevaluate reevaluate my list. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, I'm going to take another shot for that. All right. So, uh, uh, best military uh, characters. Well. I'm going to start with someone who is just an all-around steely-eyed missile man, even though I don't think he's ever been in space. Actually, I wouldn't know if he's been in space because technically I've never seen this movie before, but I have seen the 30-second teaser trailer on an old VHS copy of Apollo 13 I once had. That's right. My number five is Sergeant Bilko, played by Steve Martin. When it comes to risk, he knows the odds. When, he, when it comes to honor, he's the one soldier who's willing to hustle. Drop and give me 20. One. We're going for one. And if you wake him up for reverie, he's going to be uh, pretty disgruntled. And so uh, I just have one last thing to say. I'm just so damn proud of this pick. Sergeant Bilko, number five.
0: Perfect.
1: Perfect. Yes. All right.
0: <laughs> Todd. Todd, number five. Okay, on a different note, uh, <laughs> my number five is Captain Tony Stone, who is portrayed by Woody Harrelson in The Messenger. And he may have the most difficult job in all of the military, which is notifying uh, spouses and family when uh, someone uh, passes away overseas, and, you know, the fallen soldiers. And he is a rock, and he's so good at it that he somehow is kind of like dr wilson given a cancer diagnosis like they'll like thank him and plus he's also really good at like remaining like strong for the hysterical family members and uh throughout the movie he's like training the ben foster character who's like a injured soldier to be the new messenger and it's one of the best movies to last like 20 years and i i i think uh it's got two brilliant performances but captain stone is amazing and that's my number five I still need to see that one, but I've I've
1: heard so many good things about it. All right. Number four on my list is Staff Sergeant William James, uh, portrayed by Jeremy Renner in The Hurt Locker. Uh, this is a, a really fascinating film about uh, the Iraq War. And, uh, and if you've seen it, you know, Jeremy Renner's character, Staff Sergeant James, is a bomb diffuser. Uh, kind of a reckless do- uh, bomb diffuser, and, uh, but he's very, very good at his job. He is uh, he's this character that everyone's kind of drawn to, however, everyone really doesn't know how to take him. Uh, and as is shown in a lot of war movies, he's also this guy who really becomes addicted to war. And he not uh, he can't really escape it. He doesn't know what to do when he goes home to the point that he just ends up going right back. Uh, I it, it's a it's an awesome movie uh, I'm I was super excited when it won best picture because smaller smaller time movies like this uh, don't get recognized very often especially I mean what made it even more uh, more impressive is that it was uh, it was directed by Catherine Bigelow um, and you don't see movies like this um, given over to a to a female director very often so uh, but Jeremy Renner's character is definitely a a modern war hero and uh i'm putting him number four on my list zach number four
2: no he's a cowboy uh well that's a great pick um if i was being serious i would maybe put that on my list maybe maybe your other picks too uh but i'm not being serious all right but uh number four on my list you know, we can say what we want about William James and Tony Stone and Jack Nicholson, but we cannot say with any sort of authenticity that any one of them has stuck a piece of metal up his ass for two years. And we can say that about my number four <laughs> pick, and that is Captain Coons from Pulp Fiction. You're right, I did it. That's right. He's amazing in this movie. And, you know, he was in a Vietnamese prison camp and uh, damned if he was going to let the gooks take that watch and and confiscate it so he hid it in the only place he knew he could hide something, his ass Uh, well, Colonel Major Coolidge hid it up his ass for five years and then when he died of dysentery he gave Captain Coons the watch and uh, you know what if it had been if it had been me who had, if it had been him who hadn't made it he would have been talking it would have been Major Coolidge who would have been talking to his son Jim so my number four pick is uh, is Captain Coons and you know I have that speech memorized it's such a great empowering speech I'm pretty
0: sure Pulp Fiction is mentioned more in this podcast than any other movie <laughs> other than Sideways <laughs> uh,
1: probably probably however when we mention Sideways we never really say that we're mentioning Sideways we just reference it.
2: That's true. It's already been referenced like three times on this <laughs> podcast, and you, you just have to know the movie to, you know.
0: Well, I've had, I've had Pulp Fiction in my power rankings five different times, and I'm pretty sure <laughs> Zach is not far behind. That's right. Todd, Todd keeps a power rankings of films that appear in his power rankings.
2: Wait a second. So you like catalog all the power rankings?
0: Yeah, well, I started doing that like maybe 15 episodes in. But Yeah, I have it all mapped out on a spreadsheet with what movies and people are mentioned. That from God. me, not not from that's, everyone
2: else. <laughs> that's either terrifying or like genius. I can't it's such a it's such a fine line. I've
0: debated that too. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, dad number four. Alright, my number four is the one and only General Jack D. Ripper in Doctor Strange Love, portrayed by Sterling Hayden. Uh, have you ever seen a commie drink a glass of water? Vodka, that's what they drink. Like, he is just a quote machine in this movie. It's his best role. I think Sterling Hayden is the greatest supporting character actor of all time. And he's intimidating to the other characters, but to the audience, he's completely off his rocker. And uh, he steals every scene. But And there's so many great actors in the movie, that's actually really saying something. I absolutely have always loved his character. General Jack D. Ripper. There is something in the name. All right. All right.
1: Okay, number three on my list. I'm going into television for this one, and uh, kind of going a little uh, off, but off here. But uh, I think it, it it's definitely uh, one that works, and I'm going with Captain Benjamin Franklin Pierce, known better known as Hawkeye, portrayed by Alan Alda in the TV show *Mash*. Uh, this uh, this show takes place during the Korean War uh, and follows a uh, an army hospital. Uh, on the front lines, and is a comedy. It's a sitcom, and uh, I love how uh, Alan Alda portrays his character. I could have gone with the movie version where Hawkeye is portrayed by Donald Sutherland, but, uh, but Alan Alda is really the one that breathes the fresh life into the, into the character. Um, it's a comedy, however, it definitely gets, gets real at times as it talks about what they're actually doing. But uh, what I love about it is how uh, they're able to find, uh, find the bright side and find the, the lighter side of life, even in the most horrific of circumstances, uh, because it, it's, a, it's a television show that had 11 years on the air, which is like five years longer than the war actually lasted. Um, you're able to really get some depth in this character and really get to know him in, in so many different ways uh and i I just loved it It, it's one of if i'm gonna rank my like all-time favorite television shows it's gonna be somewhere in in that mix of uh of like the top 10 top 20 because it's just fun you can turn it on at any point and watch it and part of the reason is because of how awesome hawkeye is and his uh his shenanigans he pulls off with trapper and bj getting back at frank and uh and winchester so uh, number three on my list is uh, Hawkeye Pierce Alan Alda mesh. I like it,
2: Zach. Hey, number three. It's nice to hear about the original Hawkeye, not the bullshit Hawkeye from the MCU. Um, oh, that was my number, my number th- four on my list. This is Jeremy Renner. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that's true. <laughs> but <laughs> all right, um, my number three has the uh, unique. Uh, distinction of being both a real person, but also a person portrayed in a, I guess, semi- I guess narrative movie and that person is Dieter Dengler who uh, whose story was portrayed in actually two movies one was the documentary Little Dieter Needs to Fly by Werner Herzog and then ten years later uh, in 2007 Herzog made a uh, narrative version of Dieter Dengler's experiences called Rescue Dawn which is one of maybe about five movies the three of us have actually seen together in a theater which I think is sort of amazing because I love that movie I mean I gave that movie four stars i think it was my number three of oh seven when it came out um and i think it's kind of unique that I, I don't think either of you liked that movie as much as i did but it's a unique it's it's unique that a movie that was so impactful when i saw it that i saw it with both of you but anyway um Dieter dengler was a german-american uh, fighter pilot in the vietnam war and he gets captured uh near the Lie- uh, laotian border by uh the uh, Vietnamese Army, and um, he's basically held a uh, prisoner of war, and he refuses to speak negatively about the U.S. government, and so he's given, you know, this the torture, you know, he's like John McCain, kind of, you know, he's just a prisoner of war, and then he's, and so uh, in Rescue Dawn, it kind of portrays his escape from the POW camp, and, uh, you know, there's some incredible survival story, and, you know, he, like, eats a snake, and I think it's one of Christian Bale's best performances, and, uh, you know, that's a great kind of Hollywood movie. I don't know why people missed out on the boat on it. Little Dieter Needs to Fly is a little bit more esoteric. It's a little bit more of a Werner Herzog documentary in the sense that, like, of course, Werner Herzog inserts himself in the story and talks about how there are parallels between his life and Dieter Dengler's life, even though I'm not really sure how, of course, you know, because it's Werner Herzog. Um, But anyway, uh, Dieter Dengler is awesome. I actually think both movies are awesome, and what's unique about them, what I love about both of them. Um, is they're so completely different and um you know it, it's an incredible story and uh both both movies are, are really worth checking out in their unique uh, distinctive ways so number three Dieter Dangler in two films a documentary and a fiction film I don't think there's any other military character you could say that about
1: yeah Rescue Dawn is probably one of the most underrated and forgotten movies of the last 20 years
2: Absolutely agree. Yeah. It's an amazing movie. So
1: good, and, and I agree. Christian Bale, one of the best performances of his career, and a surprisingly amazing performance from Steve Zahn, also, in that movie.
2: Don't underrate Steve Zahn. No, not at all. He's my, my man. Second only to uh, Eric Roberts. He's the man.
0: He's the man. All right. Todd, number three. All right, for my number three, I went with uh, Gunnery Sergeant Hartman from Full Metal Jacket, played with amazing profanity by r lee <laughs> it was the role that he was born to play obviously other than the army Man in toy story and it's probably the most atrocious oscar snub that i could think of uh at least in the last like 30 years 40 years a long time he should have been nominated obviously and the movie was really just overlooked because platoon came out the year before but he owns the movie even though he's only in the, like the first section of it and he kind of is such magic to watch that he spoils the rest of the movie which is actually really good stuff, anyway. But there's like almost no movies. I can only think of really like Tigerland or something that had the entire war movie takes place like in training. Like, and that'd be a really that would have been really interesting to watch the whole movie just uh, in a boot camp. But he's just like every quote he says, like he's like, "I'm going to unscrew your head and shit down your neck." And like, <laughs> like you're so ugly, you could be a modern art masterpiece. Like, like, Arlie Ermey is insane, and I, I've always... I, 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 lo- I love that movie, but I love the first half even more just because of the craziness that he is. That's my number three. Well done. Well done. Yeah, he-
2: That's a great war performance and a war performance, there- because no one else could, could play that role.
1: <sighs> yep. Uh, all right, number two on my list... I might be the only one that mentions this movie, but I don't really care. Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump. Uh, Lieutenant Dan Taylor, played by Gary Sinise.
0: Uh, I didn't know his last name was Taylor.
1: Yeah, it's, it's Taylor. It's <laughs> Lieutenant Dan Taylor. Um, there's something just truly American about the idea that he has this sense of destiny about how he needs to fight in his generation's war and die in his generation's war because that's what his family does. Cuz what what's the line that forces someone from every gen or someone in uh, for like four generations has died in every American war. And so and He's got a lot to live up to. He's got a, he a it's lot a military to live up tradition. To. Yeah, it's a military tradition. But um but no, he's a he's a great character, he's a great leader in in battle, but then um, the other side of it is, and you see this a lot, especially when you're talking about Vietnam movies, is what happens afterwards and and you really get a get a really fascinating and inspiring look at what uh, what he turns into eventually as as it um, as it goes through the, him helping out with the shrimp and boat and things like that. I've always loved that character. Um, no matter what else I see Gary Sinise in, he's still Lieutenant Dan. Even even uh, as I watch him in, in Apollo 13, and this is Ken Mattingly, he's Lieutenant Dan no matter what, because he is just so iconic in this role, and it's such a great performance. Uh, I had to put him on the list. Uh, so, number two, Lieutenant Dan Force Gump.
2: Yeah. That that's a great pick, Terry. And I think in isn't it true that in real life, like Gary Sinise started a foundation for military veterans called like the Lieutenant Dan Foundation. Yeah, Am I off he on that?
1: he has yeah he has like a like a tribute band. That's like the Lieutenant Dan Band, that uh, that all the proceeds go to, uh, go to yeah veterans.
2: I think. I mean. I think something like that I mean he's been a huge advocate of the military as a result of that movie mm-hmm. and like it that that just the name Lieutenant Dan is absolutely iconic I mean we've said character names on this list that people won't necessarily recognize but you know exactly who you're talking about with lieutenant Dan absolutely obviously it's a it's a hugely iconic character one of the great characters of uh, the 90s
1: but he doesn't like um, ice cream lieutenant Dan ice cream can't trust him <laughs> All right, Zach, number two.
2: All right, well, my number two character also comes from an Oscar-winning best picture of the 1990s, but um, sort of a a, a different best picture, one that I think has been unfairly maligned and is a truly great movie, and that is uh, Dances with Wolves, and the character is uh, Lieutenant John Dunbar, and uh, played by Kevin Costner, who also directed Dances with Wolves. And in uh, Dances with Wolves, he plays a soldier who deserts um, the front lines of the Civil War after he unsuccessfully tries to divert the Confederate Army by basically trying to commit suicide um, in the first part of the movie and he realizes the stupidity um, and the futility of war and so he goes on the western frontier and the movie is about his relationship with uh, the Sioux tribe and uh, how he basically through An intellectual curiosity um, establishes a relationship with uh, this tribe that speaks a completely different language, has a completely different culture, and at first there's uh, a lot of uncertainty, maybe some hostility, some tension, but um, the movie, I think, has been unfairly maligned as a white savior movie. I don't think it really is. I think it's a movie about two very different cultures at a unique period of history when um more often than not uh gunfire and hostility and stupidity reigned supreme but in this particular story this is about a wonderful kind of cultural exchange between lieutenant dunbar and uh the sioux tribe and uh, I just think it's a wonderful movie. Um, I don't know. I mean, the character is the, I guess the character, and I give all props to Kevin Costner, and it's a, I think it was a totally deserving Best Picture winner in 1990. But uh, it, he's a really great character. He's a great actor in the movie, and um, it's just it's just an affecting movie that I think has been un, unfairly maligned. So Dances with Wolves, unabashed fan of the movie. My number two, John Dunbar, great soldier, great great movie character.
1: All right. Yeah, I thought about I thought about putting him on
0: the list too. All right, Todd, number two. All right, I will go with another Best Picture-winning uh, movie, and that is Corporal Nikonar uh in The Deer Hunter, played by Christopher Walken. He is quite simply... He gives the greatest performance in the history of movies, and, like, Whoa. Nick is... He's a courageous soldier, but he's also really fragile. Like, he goes through the Russian roulette games and only really showing like what he's feeling in his eyes, not really giving anything to his captors. And uh, Michael is way more volatile and crazy, but Nick keeps it together until it eventually breaks him. Like he's not necessarily a hero because Michael is really the one that ends up saving Steve in the river and Nick kind of ends up turning, but he's the best Russian roulette player, like probably that has ever lived. And uh, the performance is just otherworldly. Like, yeah, know, Nikonar or Nick is, uh, he had to be on the list. And it might be playing on my TV as we speak.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Need the inspiration. You had to had to put
1: it
2: on. Do you really think his performance is better than Captain Coons? Though he didn't stick a, a you know a watch up his ass for two years. Uh,
0: yeah, but the those are two of the highest war performances ever, for sure. Pretty much anything Christopher Walken does, you could say, has a high war performance because. You can't unhear his voice. Exactly. <laughs> like, catch me if you can. Like, no one could, no one else could play that part. Because once you hear him play
1: that part, it has to be Christopher Walken. Okay, number one on my list. As I came up with this category, there was only one name that popped into my head as, as who could be number one, and no matter what I looked at, he was always going to be number one, and that is Captain Dick Winters uh, from Band of Brothers. Uh, portrayed by Damian Lewis. Um, Band of Brothers is some of the greatest filmmaking uh, that I have ever seen. Uh, if it was if it wasn't a, a mini series and uh, and was like a ten part movie, I could cheat and call it a ten part movie, like Zach does with the Decalogue. Uh, I, it would be one of like my top three of all time. Uh, and and one of the reasons is because of um, the portrayal of Captain Winters by Damian Lewis at the heart of the entire thing. Uh, he is he's a natural leader, with uh, but has has this amazing heart to him as well. Uh, it, he and this amazing moral compass that goes through throughout the entire thing. Uh, I I love love this, and I, I turn it on every chance I get. Whenever it's on TV, I try to I try to make sure I watch it. Um, it's, it's one of, it, one of my all time favorite things to watch is band of brothers and, uh, and Damien Lewis, no matter what else I see him in, he's, he's always captain winners because of how amazing this is. And all you really need to know about captain winners is, uh, the one quote given by the actual captain winners, uh, at the start of one of the episodes when, uh, he says one of his grandkids asked him, were you a hero in the war? And his response was no, but I served in a company of heroes. And that that's all you really need to know about how um, how Dick Winters was and how much of a hero he was and how he really exemplified what a war hero is. So um and, and Damian Lewis does an amazing job at portraying that. So number one, Captain Dick Winters Band of Brothers. Can't get much better than that.
0: Yeah, he's definitely the most heroic of them, but like as characters I would have chosen like Nixon, Leapgott, Spears or Sobel, but uh, Dick Winters is the, like he's the guy holding it together. He's the, he's the best one. Yeah, uh, and maybe. and
1: like I said when I started this, it's it's greatest soldiers or war heroes, and so if you're talking war heroes, you can't get much better than Dick Winters. But you're right, if you're yeah. going like straight character, you're gonna go you're gonna go leave you're gonna go Sobel, you're gonna go Gonorrhea, you're yeah Jotoy. There's some great characters in that, but there's there's only one that rises over everyone as a war hero and that's winners. Alright, Zach. Uh, Zach, have you seen Banda Brothers?
2: Uh, no, I have not seen all of Band of oh, Brothers.
0: Dude, you gotta watch that. Does that mean you've seen part of it or you haven't yes, seen Yes, I've seen any the first
2: it? I've seen the first episode. <clears okay. <clears <throat> as I have with many things in life. Dexter. <laughs> yeah. Alright. I thought no, I saw two episodes. That's of that. true.
1: He, I forced him to watch two episodes. And then he quit. All right, Zach, number
2: one. All right, well, I I thought that was a good pick, Terry, even though I don't really know it. Um, My number one comes from uh, a movie that's already been mentioned on this podcast, and I'm surprised Todd didn't go for for this character from this movie, but Jack Ripper was, was mentioned. He's a great soldier, but is he really the level of a military man as General Buck Turgidson Played by George C. Scott, and I mean Arlie Ermy. Okay, maybe one of the greatest overlooked supporting actor performances. But I mean, I'm sorry. There should have been no no other argument for Best Supporting Actor in 1964 than George C. Scott as General Buck Turgidson. I mean, the first time we see him, he's like you know hanging out with this chick in the in the in the room in their uh, hotel room, and uh, you know, oh, Bucky, we'll be back here before you can say blast off. And then, uh, you know, he goes into the war room and, Mr. President, they're going to see the big board. And he's very skeptical of the Ruskis and the communists. And uh, he seems genuinely excited to uh, launch nuclear weapons. I mean, if it's only 10 to 20 million people that die instead of 140 million people, you know, OK, so, you know, it's, so be it. You know, it's not about what the history books will think of you. It's about what Americans think of you, Mr. President. And, um, you know, George C. Scott. I just, he's phenomenal in the movie. Uh, he represents everything that is great about the military. Uh, he's so honorable and amazing in the movie, especially when he stumbles over mid-speech. And, um, you know, I i, I think uh, had we listened more to General Turgidson, um, especially his excitement about the notion of, you know, one man for every 10 to 20 women, um, you know, he, he's, uh, he represents all that the military is about. So George C. Scott, number one, greatest military character general buck turgidson although jack ripper is a good choice too
0: yeah they're both generals and it was a close call between them I, I i love buck turgidson just as much but sterling hayden just has my like he's i think he's the best supporting character actor ever okay
1: so uh do we have uh well i was first so uh honorable mentions first so my number oh, one todd has
0: number one goodness
1: gracious you
2: <laughs> forgot about todd dude
0: is uh I'm going with uh, Sergeant Jin Tae Lee played by Dong-gun Jang in Taegukgi and he is the hero of maybe the most harrowing war movie ever and yes I realize The Deer Hunter is my number 1 but this movie is even more disturbing uh he and his brother uh Jin Sok are drafted into the Korean War and uh because uh or and the entire movie basically is him trying to protect his younger brother and like uh, trying to achieve the highest military award so he can get him out of his military duties so he he goes into every battle, all the most dangerous missions, and he keeps succeeding. But he goes through absolute hell in this movie. Like his fiance gets arrested for being a suspected communist, and then she's killed. Uh, he goes on these suicide missions, and he's like thrown in jail, and his reward is revoked. And he's the most selfless and brave and absolutely cold-blooded soldier that I could think of. And once I it came into my head, I was like, he has to be number one. That's Jintae Lee. It's
1: so. I thought about putting someone from that movie on this list, but it's been so long since I've seen Teguki that I need to go back and watch it again. I, I really do. I, I don't really remember much about it, but I just remember that it was amazing and I loved every minute of
2: it. You've yeah. alienated all all three of our listeners, Todd. It, I, I
1: guess I guess well, it was Todd's turn to do it since it's usually you, Zach. <laughs>
0: Is that Touché. the only one that was not an American soldier That we had
1: <laughs> I think it point.
0: was I have some on
1: my honorable mentions though I have one on my honorable mention Anyways, Oh wait no I had I, Colonel Nicholson from Bridge on the River Kwai was British Okay So there you go
2: And Dieter Dingler is German But he served on, for the uh, United States Air Force yeah.
1: Okay so uh, So the first one on my uh, honorable mention Was uh, General Kurabayashi who was uh, ken watanabe in letters from iwo jima that's a good one i wanted to i wanted to put that on there i thought that would be a good one uh another one i wanted to fit on my list but i couldn't was uh karen walden per, uh portrayed by Meg ryan and courage under fire um really a movie ahead of its time as it's talking about a, a female war hero there uh i wanted to put someone from saving private ryan on the list uh, because we are talking 75th anniversary of D Day and the first 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan as it portrays D Day are like some of the best filmmaking I've ever seen. Um, and I always tend to gravitate towards the snipers, so Private Jackson portrayed by Gear, uh, by Barry Pepper. Uh, that that's my favorite there. Uh, Lance Corporal Harold W. Dawson, uh, United States Marines, Few Good Men. He's my favorite from that one. I'm surprised. I chose Dawson. I chose Dawson, dude. No, Dawson is like the the ultimate like i mean he he just followed orders and he got in trouble for it but he he was exemplified what a soldier is and what a soldier should be and even when he got in trouble for it he understood why and why he was uh why he uh why he failed at, at being what he was supposed to be from it he he's the most honorable of all of them um i think captain jack is pretty honorable to you yeah there's that too um you have, uh, I'm surprised none of us mentioned Platoon, but uh, Sergeant Elias is my favorite from that. Um, Tom Cruise's best performance of all time, Ron Kovitch from Born on the Fourth of July. Uh, you could put in there. And uh, and I had uh, Colonel Kurtz or Captain Willard, Apocalypse Now. You got to pick one of them. I'm going Captain Willard. Um, and of course, uh, General Hummel, United States Marines, The Rock. Of course. Of course, got to mention him. Okay, Zach, honorable mentions.
2: Um, I also had Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump. Uh, I also had Freddie Quell from The Master, played by Joaquin Phoenix. The the problem I, I didn't like Terry's uh, in, instruction that we had it, they had to be seen in, in military action. So some of some of my honorable mentions were not seen in military action, and I don't really give a damn. Uh, Captain Louis Renault from Casablanca, played by Claude Rains, uh, mm-hmm. a, a great uh, you know uh, Machiavellian uh, military figure. Was he uh, military Luelan... or
1: was he just police?
2: Uh, he was French, um, from the Vichy regime, which means that, um, he was a traitor, Uh. and uh, yeah, meant for comic relief, uh, I guess. so I also had um, Llewellyn Moss from No Country for Old Men. Again, he wasn't seen in military action, but I, re- I recently rewatched No Country for Old Men and they are obsessed in that movie talking about his military service. It's like, it comes up like five separate times over the course of the movie. So he might as well be a character that was a great military man. Um, Furious Styles, played by Larry Fishburne in Boys in the Hood. Again, we don't see him in the military, but he instructs young Trey that uh, the military ain't no place for a black man. And uh, Don Draper slash Dick Whitman from Mad Men. I don't know how we forgot about him. There it is. Yeah. Um, I also have Rex, the German Shepherd from Megan Levy, which is the bomb-sniffing, bomb-diffusing dog. Um, I think we're being very limiting if we're only limiting our military characters to humans. And then I also have Staff Sergeant Joseph Gonzalez from Rachel Getting Married. Um, he's the guy who is a distant relative of Sydney who's getting married to Rachel, and he is at the wedding reception uh, filming the uh, the rehearsal dinner on his little camcorder. Um, he doesn't have a lot to say, but um, I really like that character.
1: It, it, it's always a good sign when you have to start off his description as, he's that one guy...
2: <laughs> Zach's dad's favorite movie. <laughs> yeah, my dad is a fan of that movie. I I love that movie too.
1: It's a it's class. a good movie. It it's a it's a good one.
0: All right, Todd honorable mention. All right, I have Sergeant Donny Donowitz, who is the bear Jew in uh Oh, Brothers there Bastards. you go. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's good one. Signalman First Class Buddy Bdu- Billy Budusky from uh, the Last Detail. That's Jack Nicholson. Uh, just great character and. Played equally brilliantly by Brian Cranston in Last Flag Blind. Uh, then I have Sergeant Brad Iceman Colbert from the David Simon miniseries, Generation Kill. Always really liked that one. Private Gary Hook in the movie 71. Uh, that uh, Which is a really underrated movie. And then I have PFC Brian Detman from Jarhead. Now, he's the guy who his wife sends him a VHS copy of The Deer Hunter, and he's, like, the king because they're going to watch The Deer Hunter while they're, like, sitting there on duty. And then it ends up being, like, a video of him his wife, like, sleeping with the next-door neighbor and her breaking off their marriage. You got, really got a feel for that guy, but uh, it's the only time you see him in the movie, but that seemed relevant.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Uh All right, so I just
1: realized one that I forgot. I should have mentioned this in honorable mentions. Uh the entire cast of Top Gun. Yes. Maverick, Iceman, Goose, Viper, Jester, Wolfman, Slider. Um yeah, all of them. And uh, who's the who's the one guy that's the uh their uh the 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 commander that's like Top Gun Oh, God help us uh, He's he's my favorite anyways. I had to I had to throw that in there anyway, okay now it's time for Our guessing of Adam's list. Let's see how we do here uh, So we uh, each have come up with what we think his top five is and then we will uh, we'll see how well we did All right, so my top five for Adam number five Captain America uh, number four, Sergeant Barnes from Platoon. Number three, Captain Winter's Band of Brothers. Number two, um, Christopher Watkins' character in The Deer Hunter. And number one, Captain Miller saving Private Ryan. Zach, what do you have?
2: I had number five, Brian Detman from Jarhead. Number four, <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant Aldo Rain from Inglorious Bastards. Uh, number three, The Winter Soldier. Number two, Lieutenant Dan. And number one, God damn it, Terry. Captain Miller saving private Ryan. Oh. It's, it's got to be his number it's one, gotta right? Be.
0: <clears throat> okay, and I had number five Captain America, uh, number four <laughs> Lieutenant <laughs> Pete Mitchell, Maverick, and Top Gun. Number three Captain John Rambo in First Blood. Number two Colonel Hans Landa in uh, Glorious Bastards, and number one I had Captain John Miller <laughs> in Saving <laughs> Private <Bright> Ryan. You kidding me?
2: Uh, Wait uh, for a second. I, I messed up my Jarhead name. I wasn't saying Brian debman I meant Anthony Swafford. Sorry, just that? to be clear. That's the Jake Gyllenhaal character. Oh, okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, okay. I don't know who you were talking about, Todd. That's the name I wrote down, though. Okay, so
1: Adams. Oh, hold on a second here. Okay, so Adams. Adams list. Honorable mention. Uh, Private Jackson saving Private Ryan. That's I think that's Barry Pepper. Uh, Sarge from Toy Story. So the nice. the yeah the Army Men. Uh, Grand nice. Moff Tarkin from Star Wars. <laughs> oh. Lieutenant Daniel Caffey, A Few Good Men. Sergeant Slaughter, who's a WWE wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's just trying did to you make- give him the rules. Yeah, I did. <laughs> It's honorable mention though, honorable mention. Um, Yeah, I think he's just picking stuff to be like, dude, you're never gonna guess this now. Uh, And his his last honorable mention is Colonel Miles Quaritch from Avatar. Oh, that's got that's got to be yeah the one the one yeah the one guy. Okay, number five. Number five, General Frank Savage from Twelve O'clock High. Wow. Interesting. Uh number four, Lieutenant Colonel Bill Kilgore, Apocalypse Now. That's uh Robert Duvall. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, number three, Sergeant Elias Platoon. Dang it. <laughs> ah I picked the wrong one. Number two, Staff Sergeant William James, the Hurt Locker. And oh, the- I had that and I deleted it and put in Maverick. And number video. one, Captain Miller saving Private Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh.
1: so, so what do we do here? We all got number one and nothing else. <laughs> uh, I at least... No, no honorable mentions? I no I don't think any of us had... The closest thing is I had a platoon character.
0: I had <laughs> William James written and changed it to Maverick when I remembered that earlier today. And, uh, that pisses me off. I, I think...
1: Uh, I think I'm going to say I won because... The closest thing I, we have to anything else from his list is I have Barnes from Platoon and he put Elias from Platoon.
0: Like that's, Or we could all just get like a third of a point and then we do our top five of the first half of the year on the next one.
2: Ooh. <laughs> yes, I like it.
0: That works. But a third of a point would uh, <laughs> put it the to... Uh, <laughs> 7.966666 just give us each like. will no, be eight
2: I, th- I think we each get point 0.3. three.
1: I think we each get point three, and Ben gets point one.
0: <laughs> yes. Of what course. happened to the other point one from that? I don't know. Ben got point two, and or Zach got point two. Oh no! Got you got two. half,
1: didn't you, Todd? You got half. I
0: got a half. But yeah. But then point two and point two. No, no,
1: no. And then missing. Zach got point three, and he got point two. Oh, okay.
2: Can I just? I think it's remarkable that we all wrote down Captain Miller, and it was Captain Miller. I think we just need to appreciate that for a second. That that that's amazing. That yeah,
1: I I think that is. I think it shows that we're kind of getting good at this. We all one right. <laughs>
0: it's not like the Snow Movie one where I got like four out of five.
1: <laughs> but we, I got I got one where I got five out of five. I did. I don't remember which one it was, but I was excited. What?
2: <laughs> I don't think any of us were predicting that he would pick a wrestler from WWE. <laughs> Sergeant
0: Slaughter. I should have Slaughter. seen that coming. <laughs> How do you not have Captain America? That was, I, I know. That was sure, going to be on there. I thought that was a good. That was a in, good step. And Rambo. Mm.
2: Yeah,
1: leave it to him to pick a Star Wars general. Star Trek, right? Oh, Star Wars. No, Star Tarkin. Wars. Tarkin, uh-huh. Grand Moff Tarkin. Oh, Tarkin. Okay. Yeah.
0: So how am I how am I marking this down? Am I giving us all yeah,
1: we're, three? Yeah, we're are each carry a point.
0: I I don't know. What are we doing? All all okay, point w- three three. <laughs> I could give Zach... I could give us all three tenths and then Zach will be back on a normal number, but we won't be.
1: <laughs> Just do it. Give us all point three and give give Ben the extra point one that he can distribute at his discretion. Alright. <laughs> Oh, what a mess. Okay. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> okay. Moving on. That was a lot of fun. I actually really liked that category. It was a good one. Um, moving on to trivia. Are you ready? Well,
0: let's
2: hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Void is a slap in the face.
0: This is going downhill quick. Trivia,
1: and before we get to our trivia game, we have some movies that we need to review. Uh, Two podcasts ago, the last time we did a uh, a traditional episode, uh, I defeated Todd in trivia, and then last time, I or no, Todd defeated Zach. Is no? How did that work? What you
0: on the rock? You beat me. Oh no! In the rock, though. Oh wait! Oh in the rock, I. Yeah, I beat you. Yeah, and
1: but you assigned a movie to Zack. Yeah. Okay, so let's start with Todd. Todd, tell us what you watched and, uh, and what you thought.
0: Okay, so Terry had me watch the 1989 Julian Temple movie called Earth Girls Are Easy, which I did not know anything about it other than uh, it's mentioned in Jim Carrey's Golden Globe Best Actor Drama speech in... Uh, when he won for the Truman Show as like a reference to why they should have seen this coming before with his great dramatic work and Earth Girls Are Easy and Once Bitten Uh, it's pretty ridiculous it's a movie about three aliens who go to Earth because they see some humans on like a some message or something so they decide they want to go meet them it's not really explained but uh, the aliens are portrayed by Jim Carrey, Jeff Goldblum and Damon Wayans And then there's this, also this, uh, yeah. There's this, like, total valley girl, played by Gina Davis, who gets in a big fight with her, uh, fiancé, who is, like, the bad guy in Dumb and Dumber. And they, they land their spaceship in her pool, and then they, like, get, sort of, get integrated into her life, and they learn how to act as humans by watching TV. Uh, so it's basically just a fish-out-of-water comedy and it does have some funny moments but it's really total like offbeat and bizarre like it's kind of a musical which is weird but it kind of fits and it's like a bad tv movie in how it looks uh... but the jokes are like come off like clueless or something like that and they make southern california somehow look like the neighborhood in edward scissorhands uh, i kinda like where it ended up and i get the cult status but it's weird like julian temple's next movie was like a hood movie with tupac and mickey rourke so this makes this movie stand out like a lot but it's cool seeing like jim carrey and Tim wayne before there were stars and like gina davis fresh off her oscar and <laughs> jeff goldblum fresh off like the fly so and then there's like michael mckeon and uh frank burns it's it's a weird movie definitely weird and i i give it like two and a half stars and I mean, it could it, it seems like one you have to either give like four stars two and a half stars or zero stars so I won't win the middle <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right well well I, I love this movie Todd I think you're, you're missing out on it. it it's totally charming it's total. I, I, I get it's totally weird. Like, there's no way this movie could have been made in 2019, and I think that's part of the reason I love it. Is because it introduces the world to these raw comic talents of, of Jim Carrey and, and Damon Wayans and Gina Davis, and it the, the musical numbers are so offbeat and so weird, and um, it's just. It, it's an awesome movie. It's a high-concept musical comedy sci-fi that you, that you couldn't make in 2019. So um, it, it scores high. We should do like a war movies, you know? Like, what movie could replace this movie? There is no replacement for this movie because there's never been any movie quite like this movie. And there, nothing, there never will be either. So I really enjoy it. I, You're right, though, with the clueless analogy, though. There's a lot of clueless in this movie as well.
0: I
1: think I gave it a bad rating just because it is it, it is just kind of stupid comedy, but it was enjoyable and, and worth, yeah, it was worth the watch for sure.
2: It's on my top ten of eighty eight. I love it.
1: <laughs> All right, Zach, what did you watch?
2: Um, I watched uh, Mom and Dad uh... the brian taylor directed movie starring Nicolas cage todd gave me a choice or he said i could watch both movies of either mom or dad or mandy mom or dad was the only one i could find So I went with it, and uh, it's a really interesting movie about um, a uh, sort of dystopian world. Well, it starts out in like a normal world, where there's this kind of nuclear unit family, and the dad is Nicolas Cage, and the mom is Selma Blair, and they have two kids, and, you know, a, a car, and a two-story house and things like that and then this mysterious ailment starts uh, coming and I I don't really know the movie never really explains what it is but I guess you know the TV screens go static and suddenly parents have the insatiable urge to kill their children only their children though which is a an important point they don't have the urge to kill any kid just uh, spawn of their own so Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair are hot on the trail of finding their daughter and son And um, most of the movie is this kind of cat and mouse game where the, the kids are in the basement and mom and dad are on the main floor and they're trying to figure out a way to get into the basement. At first they try to rip through the door and then they try to gas them out with CO2. And uh, in terms of, like, you know, Nicolas Cage performances, I mean, there's pretty epic moments. You know, he sings uh, Hokey Pokey while destroying a uh, pool table, which is pretty awesome. And then there's a moment where he's burned alive. But, you know, at that moment, I th- I can think of so many movies where he's been burned alive that I knew he wasn't really dead. So that surprise wasn't really that surprising. Um, this feels like a movie that should have been made about 10 years ago, like, on the... On the vein of like teeth or something like that it's uh it's a pretty cool concept i love that is only 85 minutes long that's the best thing about this movie it's very enjoyable very funny i think i would probably walk about four and a half blocks to see it and uh, i give it three stars
0: awesome at least you liked it i was kind (laughs) of (laughs) worried
2: (laughs) <laughs> no, it was, it was good it was, it was enjoyable I was thinking about ways that w- w- Which my parents would kill me And I think I, I would escape both my parents But I think Terry Sr. trying to kill both of you Would be pretty entertaining to watch Terry <laughs> Sr. and Karen
0: uh, See, and the director He's from uh, the Crank movies Like That's where he cut his teeth So you can get a oh, idea yeah. of what kind of like Crazy uh, Creative action you get in this movie <laughs> Nice Alright
1: So it is time for trivia uh, I Since I won two podcasts ago I'm hosting So it is Todd versus Zach And we are going to do some uh, Some lists here And we're going to I have two lists that we're going to go through We're going to go back and forth between the two uh, With each one they get right They will get a point point. And uh, whoever has the most points at the end Wins so, uh, you guys ready?
2: Oh, I'm ready. Do it.
1: Okay. So, in honor of what we've been, uh, what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, our first category is Oscar-nominated actors that have appeared in an X-Men movie. <laughs> wow. Oscar-nominated actors that have appeared in an X-Men. Or X Men Universe movie. There are 11 actors that have been nominated for an Oscar that have appeared in an X Men Universe movie. Okay. <clears throat> All right. We are going to start with Zach on this one. So, Zach, fire one ready.
2: Uh, Jennifer Lawrence.
1: That is correct.
2: How to check that one? Terry.
0: <laughs> I've got the list here I'm marking them off as I go <laughs> um, um, Ian McKellen Ian McKellen is correct
2: uh, Michael Fassbender
1: Michael Fassbender is correct Hugh Jackman Hugh Jackman is correct
2: uh, Jessica Chastain
1: Jessica Chastain is correct. He, she actually Hallie wasn't... Barry. Hold on, hold on. She actually wasn't on my list, so there's actually 12.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: Because it, it just happened. Halle Berry, Todd said, is correct.
2: Uh, Anna Paquin.
0: Anna Paquin is
2: correct.
0: Uh, I can't remember the actor's first name. Wait, it was... Uh, uh, Josh Brolin, was he in there? Josh Brolin
1: is correct because of Deadpool Two.
0: Okay.
1: That's X Men Universe. What? Deadpool Two wait, is X Men Universe. Second. Deadpool <clears> Two. <throat> yep. That doesn't count as e- it's X Men <sighs> Universe. That's why I said X Men Universe.
2: That's ridiculous. All right, uh, Ellen Page.
1: Ellen Page is correct.
0: Uh, Bruce Davidson. Bruce Davison is correct. Wow, I can't finally remember his first name. No, it's not Pete. It's not Pete. <laughs> <laughs> What's name? And I'll how give I'll that? give
1: it to you, but it's Davison, not Davidson. Just letting wow. you know. Okay, Zach, how many is that ten? That's ten. There are two left.
2: Two left.
1: <sighs> if e- if either of you get either of these, I'm going to be amazingly impressed
2: I think that Deadpool 2, I'm, I'm raising the bullshit flag on that, but whatever uh, Judy Davis
1: No, incorrect Todd, do you have anything else?
0: Um, no I Okay,
1: don't. that like I said, that was that was quite impressive there so the last few the last two that you guys missed uh Shore Egdashlu was in oh, wow. uh was in X3 the last stand. I knew it was gonna be the last stand and last stand. Michael Lerner was in days of future past. <laughs> Barton Fink yep okay. All right
2: was Bruce Davidson nominated for, what was he nominated for was it longtime companion?
1: Yeah yeah okay okay. That, 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 that was impressive. That was impressive there. You got 10 of the 12. Well done. And you're tied. 5 to 5. Okay. Our last category uh, is films with the most Oscar nominations without getting a Best Picture nomination. We are going with... There are 19 movies that got seven nominations or more without getting a Best Picture nomination. I will give you one hint. None of them are in the expanded uh, Best Picture lineup of the last ten years or so. How, I'm sorry, how many Oscar nominations? Seven or more. Films that have received seven or more Oscar nominations without receiving a best picture
2: nomination seven or more nominations yep and no best
1: picture nomination
2: no best picture nominations okay wow
1: and again there are 19 movies that qualify i think this list is going to be a little harder than the x-men list
2: (laughs) you think
0: seven nominations that's a lot
1: it is a lot i was surprised there was a list of 19 movies
0: all right, Are we going to do All this right, or what? You ready
1: to go? Todd, you are first up on this category Fire when ready
0: uh, They Shoot Horses Don't They God damn
1: they it Todd They Shoot Horses Don't They is first on the list They had right, nine can we, nominations
2: Can we just talk about this for a second Todd and I were just texting about this the other day <laughs> <laughs> It is not fair That that is the one to come up with God damn it
1: <laughs> Nine nominations and no best picture how would it get, not get a Best Picture yeah, nomination? Know. It's a great movie. Oh. That's the one about the horse. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> and the one the horse that got shot, didn't it?
1: <laughs> all right, Zach, you're up. I mean, I
2: I don't know what to say after that. Like, you kind of stole the movies that I was thinking of. Um, there's there's of 18 others. <laughs> <laughs> Those I, were his well, 19 guesses. I, I, I knew that that i knew that that one was correct though (laughs) that's the only one that for sure i knew was correct because we just looked it up oh god damn it todd all right um uh empire strikes back no nope
1: that is incorrect todd just for fun do you have any more my man godfrey uh my man godfrey is also incorrect (laughs)
0: really what?
1: okay no way <laughs> yeah had,
0: wait i i hope they got nominated for all the acting categories and director like are you sure that's not on there my man godfrey
1: uh-huh. i'm looking it up i'm, look I'm it looking up. it up
2: wow wow that's that's legit
1: my man godfrey had six oscar nominations every acting category actor actress supporting actor supporting actress director screenplay that's it only six are we are needed serious? seven that should count. <laughs> okay, so here's what we're gonna do. Since both of you missed one, we're gonna keep going. Yeah, I have more options. Zach, it's to you now.
0: Uh, Dream Girls.
1: Dream Girls is correct. It had eight.
0: Uh, the Dark Knight.
1: The Dark Knight is correct. It also had eight.
0: I'm an idiot.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are. Uh,
1: cool Hand Luke cool hand Luke is incorrect Todd cold mountain cold mountain is correct it had seven yes. you guys have any more that was all I had written down I had dream girls written down okay the others with uh, so Todd wins the others with eight nominations from 1972 the Poseidon adventure uh, from 1977 close encounters of the third kind
0: Oh, and from
1: amazing. 1981 Ragtime then Ragtime. then was seven nominations from 1994 Bullets over Broadway from 1990 mm-hmm. Dick Tracy
0: I was thinking about Dick Tracy from
1: 1986 Aliens from 1982 Victor Victoria from 1968 Star from 1967 Star. Thoroughly Modern Millie from 1966 what? Hawaii from 1964, "Hush, Hush, Sweet Char- uh, Charlotte." From 1963, "HUD." From 1960, uh, "Pepe." From 1949, what? "Come to the Pepe. Stable," and from 1948, "Joan of
0: Arc."
2: What's "Come to the Stable"? What are these? Th- this is made up. There's got to be
0: like like uh, musicals that have like five song nominations or let,
1: something. Let me look. So, "Come to the <laughs> we'll, Stable." We'll, I'm looking up "Come Star to the Stable" was a right now.
2: S- <laughs> Star was a box office disaster when it came out. Nominated for seven
1: Oscars, it was a comedy drama. Two nuns arrive unannounced in the small New England town of Bethlehem where they recruit various townspeople to help them build a children's hospital.
2: That sounds exactly like a movie that would have gotten a lot of Oscar nominations. Actress,
1: supporting actress, supporting actress, writing, cinematography, art direction, and original song. There you go.
2: Come to the stable. One of us should have to watch Come that Come to the shit. stable.
1: <laughs> well, it's up to Todd. Can make us all watch it. Todd could Todd make us all watch it for next time.
2: <laughs> oh, please don't.
1: <laughs> or make, make us all watch, uh, what was it, Pepe? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Todd wins. Todd gets to pick, you know. Can
2: you at least admit that Cool Hand Luke was a good guess, That is a Todd. good guess.
0: But, uh, I, yeah. Yeah, I w- it was a good guess. I that's
2: I remember- totally the type of movie that would have gotten nominations, but not best picture.
0: <laughs> I'm looking it up. I remember Hud Hud though was nominated in all the acting categories too. That's what I was trying to go with. I wasn't thinking like ones that were just like, went one- gotten nominated for like all the art direction and all that kind of stuff.
1: Cool Hand Luke had four. It won best uh, supporting actor, and nominated for best actor, writing, and score.
2: But not
0: picture not picture apparently my man godfrey could get nominated for everything but picture <laughs> and come up people. one
1: short
2: <laughs> why are we recasting wolverine would we could recast my man godfrey with jimmy tatro and the guy from arrow that would be I, i'd see that
1: <laughs> all right well uh we'll find out what our punishment is uh, next time or whoever's punishment it's going to be But it's time for Quote of the Day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it.
0: Quote of the Day.
1: Uh, Todd, you won. You get to go first.
0: Alright, so my quote comes from Earth Girls Are Easy. Uh, The uh, Michael McKeon character, Woody the pool boy, He's doing like a—he's like doing like some sort of like Jeff Spicoli impersonation throughout the movie, and he's just like, waste your brain, wax your board, pray for waves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, all right, I'm gonna go next. Uh, my quote is uh, is from a good X Men movie, and that is the original X Men. And uh, when I was thinking of good X-Men quotes, it's the first one that popped into my head. It's after a, a big battle scene. Mystique has been uh, impersonating uh, Wolverine as they've been fighting, so they don't know which one's Wolverine. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, Wolverine comes around the corner, and, uh, and Cyclops looks at him, and Wolverine says, hey, it's me. And Cyclops says, prove it. You're a dick. Okay. I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. It's a good quote. It's a good moment there. Prove it, you're a dick.
2: It's back when when X Men had a sense of humor.
1: Exactly. Well, the only one that had a sense of humor in the new one was Quicksilver. Anyways, whatever. All right, Zach,
2: your quote. All right, my my quote comes from Werner Herzog's narration of Little Dieter Needs to Fly. (laughs) But from the air, Vietnam did not seem real at all. For Dengler, it was like a grid on the map. He had even suddenly found himself not only a pilot, but a soldier caught up in a real war. But even though it was all very real, everything down there seemed to be so alien and so abstract. It looked like a strange, distant, barbaric dream. Which you can also characterize this podcast as.
1: A strange, sadistic, barbaric dream.
2: No, no, no. Uh, a strange distant oh, barbaric distant dream. Distant barbaric the dream. Accent was a little Sorry. <laughs>
1: uh, I would love it if someone would leave us a review on iTunes saying that we are a strange distant barbaric dream. That would just that that there you go. We we will mention you on the next podcast if you review us on iTunes as a strange we, distant barbaric dream.
0: Not the strange distant or sadistic,
1: yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for listening again. uh, Make sure you subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. That really does help us out to be found by more people. uh, When you uh, when you rate and review, especially. Uh, Find us all over the internet. almost sideways.com Facebook, Twitter. Uh, We will catch you next time with another movie deep dive. And uh, what are we deep diving next time, guys? Speed. Oh, that's right. That's right With, we're the, with the Ben Brown from the Red Brown Podcast Are we getting Ben? We're going to try and get Ben for the next one as we deep dive speed Which is 25th anniversary 25th anniversary and one of Zach's all time Favorite movies for some reason And And we're reviewing Toy Story 4 Oh is that what we're doing too? We're deciding this live on the podcast right now. <laughs> well, I think we decided that last time, but okay. <laughs> Alright, well, uh, catch us for whatever we end up doing on the next podcast when, uh, when it comes out, whenever that happens. Uh, but until then, have fun watching movies.
0: Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.